Hello, I'm Joe Pavia, and thanks for listening to my podcast, Station to Station. The podcast revisits old radio interviews and news stories I was assigned. You can find blogs, photos, and other stories on my website, joepavia.com. In this episode, you'll hear a follow-up to episode 17, which was my 1991 interview with David Cassidy. I speak to Allison, the spokesperson for a group in England who are campaigning to have David Cassidy inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they want his back catalogue of music and live concerts remastered and released. Test, 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 check, one, two, check, check. Coming down in three, two, one. Tributes poured in after David Cassidy died in November of 2017. I personally heard from many who told me their stories of their preteen crush after seeing him on the Partridge Family TV show in the 1970s to those who followed him during his solo career. Janet continued through his acting and musical theater appearances. Janet wrote, I saw him three times. Twice I was front row seeing Blood Brothers. The Toronto performance featured singer Amy Skye, and in the UK, Petula Clark performed with David and Sean Cassidy. Finally, John saw him in concert long before it was known Cassidy was sick. John said, you could tell he was struggling with something, he just wasn't doing well. David Cassidy became eligible for induction into the Rock Hall in 1996. Since then, some longtime fans have been campaigning to actually see him voted in. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has specific criteria for artists and performers to be inducted. Here are a few. Eligibility for induction is 25 years after the release of the artist's first commercial recording. Inductees will have a significant impact on the development, evolution, and preservation of rock and roll. The criteria considers influence on other performers or the genre, and the depth and length of the career as well as musical catalog is considered. People like Allison, who's from England, believes the above description pretty much exemplifies the David Cassidy she knows. Allison, who only wanted her first name used, says the general public worldwide has judged whether he should be inducted based on the small amount of information known about his career. She and her group are attempting to change that, and they have launched two petitions. One is for the Rock Hall induction, the other is to have his back catalogue of albums and concert footage remastered and released. Both the petitions are posted to their website, davidcassidylegacy.com. Here's my interview with Allison. We spoke via video messenger from her home in England. You told me in an email, Allison, that your mission was to, quote, right the wrongs that were denied him in his life. Explain what you mean by that. What wrongs? Um, I think you probably summed them up as, as four main ones, really. The first one, really, as we know, is that he was put very much into the box of being a teen idol pop singer. Um, he was so much more than that. Um, but unfortunately for David, if you look back at even the very early shows, he was promoted from the beginning as being David Cassidy of the Partridge family, not just David Cassidy. And therefore, you know, as a result of that, the media has continued all these years just to treat him as that, as a member of the Partridge family. So really just four years of a contract in a television show has been allowed for all this time to uh, overshadow his entire career. The second thing is we know, of course, that... Um, 
he was actively sidelined by the music industry once he decided to uh, turn his back on the teen idol uh, sort of area. And in particular, he produced three excellent albums, as we see it, which were given virtually no airtime at all anywhere in the world. And that was Home is Where the Heart Is, uh, Getting in the Street, and the higher they climb. And these were from 75 to 76. They have collaborations on there. He has his own songs that he wrote, but they have collaborations with um, Jerry Beckley from America Band, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, Richie Ferrey of Poco and Buffalo Springfield. So these were superb rock and blues albums. I strongly recommend a listen if you can get hold of any of them now. Thirdly, we would say, obviously, he's never really been given any public or official recognition that we personally feel he should have had. And the other interesting thing is that he is the only superstar pretty much from his generation whose back catalogue has never been released. There is no box set of all of David Cassidy's material, including unreleased tracks, including footage of his live shows. So his back catalogue is still somewhere gathering dust. So um, our aims really are we keep publicising those lesser known songs, individual tracks from those albums, as well as the other albums he had. We're trying to make people aware of the songwriting, uh, not just for himself. He wrote for Asia as one example. And we share what footage we can find of his live performances. And obviously we contribute, we hope, to getting the catalogue released and to get him inducted into the Rock Hall. Have you been in discussion with anyone at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to discuss what you need to do as fans to make a pitch? Yes, we have. Uh, we contacted them a couple of years ago and um, we've already actually submitted the petition, but the petition is only one part of it. We put together a huge presentation folder. Um, we have supporting documents, information in there that we've collated. The petition, um, people don't just sign it, they can put comments on there. So we've included all those significant ones of which there are well, there were hundreds, now there's thousands. Um, so the links to our petitions to induct David and to Harry's back catalogue released, you can find on our website, davidcassidylegacy.com. It's in the menu. Or you can go on your search engine to gopetition.com. And if you search in Go Petition for David Cassidy, they will give you the results of induct. And I think it's called remaster and release is the other one. There's a bit of information I'd like to give which may help people make their decision and make up their minds about uh, signing the petition. Everyone that signs it is so greatly appreciated. Um, I'd like to mention as well that um, we do have a large number, as I said before, of famous names who've signed it. Some are private, but we've got a few public ones which people might be interested to uh, hear about. Alan Merrill, I think he's number 700. Gosh, I remember contacting Alan and asking him. A lovely man. Uh, Alan Merrill, of course, lead singer of the Arrows or Vodka Collins, people might remember him from. He played and sang with Meatloaf. Now, Alan wrote the rock anthem, I Love Rock and Roll. And Alan signed for us in April 2015. Um, so his, his comment he's kept private. Um, another person I'd like to mention, now this is my personal favourite. <laughs> people who know me and the type of music I like would know why. We have Bumblefoot on there. Bumblefoot, uh, now, of course, with his own band, Sons of Apollo, but for eight years until recently, he was a guitarist with Guns N' Roses and he was formerly out of anarchy. He signed and he has commented that to have David Cassidy in there would be a well-deserved induction. That made my heart leap. Um, we have Tony Prince. Now, Tony Prince 
It's a very well-known former Radio Luxembourg DJ, station programmer. He was the honorary president of the Elvis fan club for 40 years. And he interviewed many of the greats. He interviewed the Beatles, he interviewed Elvis, he interviewed David Cassidy. Now he has signed, and his comment is, beyond the screams was a great talent. Open the door and let him in. I would like to include this key quote, if I may, from Mr. Jan Wenner himself. He was, of course, the founder of Rolling Stone magazine, as you know, and the founder of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's currently chairman of the Rock Hall Foundation. And he was talking a few years ago about that Rolling Stone cover with David Cassidy. Now, Mr. Wenner himself said, there seemed to be a certain something about David that was more special than the rest of the teen idols. There was a ring of authenticity there. He was a cut above them. And there's a real validity to the people that we put on the cover. I'm hoping one day I can remind Mr. Wenner of that quote. Uh, finally, I'd like to mention John Baylor. John Baylor was, of course, one of the uh, Ron Hicklin singers. Now, they were the uh, session singers for the Partridge Family songs and also for some of David Cassidy's early solo work. And John was the vocal arranger and performer with the Partridge Family and David Cassidy. Now, he signed and his comment was... Um, Having worked with David in the early years, I witnessed the coming of age of a superstar. David is a nice human being. He's a standout performer and he definitely needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And obviously, we've also been very fortunate, too, to procure these uh, letters of support, private ones from a number of well-known artists, a couple of household names in there that would surprise people, um, to the Rock Hall, explaining why David shouldn't be inducted or how he's inspired them in the first place or how even now he's influenced the way they still make and perform music. Now, those are in confidence, but they're part of the presentation we've already sent. Um, so that was sent to the person we were advised to and um, directed to. We're certainly seeking to update that presentation in the future, because obviously now we've um, acquired even more information and more stories of support. So it's, it's really a work in progress. We don't give up. <laughs> you mentioned three albums, and you mentioned the 1972 concert at Madison Square Gardens. You indicated yeah. that David Cassidy said it was the best night of his life. Yes. Why? Well, from what we can surmise, I mean, he'd already done a number of live shows before that, so this was just another part of his rapid rise, really, to superstardom. But... We do know, of course, that New York City was his hometown. He's always expressed in his life a very close connection to New York. So you imagine you're 21 years old and you are sold out in your hometown to 21,000 screaming fans. Madison Square Garden is the iconic venue and not just of New York. Madison Square Garden is an iconic venue in the world, is it not? He was a New York City boy. So that in itself is going to make it you know, a very emotional experience for him. We know his family were there including his grandfather. We've seen the photographs of that too. So we were aware that that's meant, that must have meant a great deal to him as well. So to get up there in front of your family and your hometown crowd, if you like, 21,000 people screaming your name, to own that stage, to really show people what you're capable of, put your own spin on the songs, move your moves. That night, his voice was perfect. You know, he sang the whole range from rock to romance, the backing band provided the most excellent orchestral support. It was apparently just the most incredible experience for everyone. And we've, we've heard, um, you know, messages and comments from people who were there at the time expressing that. So I think in, in some, that show perhaps over and above all his previous ones um, epitomised really what being a solo rock star was all about.
You want okay. David's back catalogs of unreleased solo work made public, and you're searching for them. What have you done to make this happen? Letters, emails, discussion with record companies. What's going yeah. on and and behind the scenes? We've instigated correspondence with certain people uh, up to now. We've had a degree of response. Um, we've got reason to believe we're being taken notice of, and certainly that the growing voice of the fans is being noticed as well. But of course, you've got to bear in mind that we can keep contacting people, but you've got one or two very large companies, one in particular here. Um, they don't always reply to every single email they get because, um, you know, perhaps because we're a little bit smaller than they are. But certainly we are hopeful, let's say, that something, um, fingers crossed, will be released in the not too distant future. I mean, certainly people can be assured that a lot of work is going on behind the scenes, you know, to try and help bring his work to the wider public. We're just doing the best we can. We do know um, that in Japan, I mean, this is already out there anyway, officially, but this coming April in Japan, Sony are releasing uh, remasters. I think it's Sony. Yes, it is. Remasters CDs of his Cherish album and the Rock Me Baby album. Now, they're also releasing Greatest Hits CD. This is only in Japan. Now, there is already a Greatest Hits CD out there, but this is different because this is going to have a few different tracks on it compared to the edition that has previously been released outside of Japan. And off the top of my head, I know that Junk Heart Blues is on it. Now, that's interesting because Junk Heart Blues is David's own composition. It's a bluesy piano number. He plays a piano on it, and it's superb. And this is one of those tracks for, that people really didn't know about much until recently. So the fact they're now considering putting these tracks onto a Greatest Hits CD is something that makes us hopeful. Alison, tell me how you became a David Cassidy fan. <laughs> well, um, like a lot of people, I was age six. <laughs> um, so I do recall the precise moment sitting in my chair at home. Um, I was, um, I think there'd already been three or four episodes of the Partridge family out at that point. So I hadn't seen those, but I was sitting there watching it and I saw him, you know, appear on the television and I just felt a connection. And I, that, when I first started telling people this, I thought maybe I was just a bit you know, crazy, but this is interesting because we've since discovered through the fans stories and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of stories. This seems to be a very common thing. People felt a connection, but then he sang and that was just something completely different. What a voice. Um, so for me at that age, it wasn't so much a crush thing, really. It was more of a, you know, a really lovely friend kind. Of. I just remember thinking he was lovely. That's the only word I would ever describe. Um, I just felt he was really lovely. That was how I felt at the time. Now, I had a very difficult childhood, like a lot of people. So David was kind of, you know, brought that bit of light in there. It was like a bit of a safe place in my mind, really. And we found for a lot of people, certainly, that, um, yeah, David and his music have really helped uh, people through some very challenging times. So it is rather incredible. I did, as I grew up, lost touch, really, as you do with his work for quite a number of years. Um, but then in the early 2000s, I was actually in the gas station <laughs> at the checkout. And his then and now CD was there by the checkout. So that was it. I bought that and um, haven't really looked back since. And of course, now I'm older, I've been able to really discover, say a lot more about his music than I would ever have known when I was much younger. And what prompted you then to start the website dedicated to David Cassidy three years ago? Well, I have to be very specific here. The website itself, which is www.davidcassidylegacy.com that's actually quite a recent creation 
So um, the website itself we put together because obviously we can provide a lot more detailed information on there about our campaign. It's not really dedicated to David because there are other websites obviously that do that. We've got quite a precise focus there. It's purely information about the campaign to get him inducted and also to have his back catalogue released, uh, why we believe in it and what the aims are. And you obviously you can't really put, you know, all that information onto a tweet and even on Facebook, to be fair, who of us reads very long posts on Facebook, the bit that says see more, we tend not to. Facebook and Twitter are quite visual and fairly short just by their very nature. So the website has this precise focus and people can peruse it at their own leisure and then make up their mind if they're you know, not sure whether it's, it's a campaign they wish to support or not. We've added now, we've got two long pages on them, as I say, of these in memoriam tributes. So that's the story. There's quite a lot to read. It's worth sitting there with a, you know, a coffee and taking your time. Um, so really, I think it's just another tool, which is why we use it. It, hasn't, it isn't the be all and end all. We started with Facebook page originally at the end of 2014. That was our starting point to promote uh, the induct petition. And then the Twitter thing came after that. So it's the three tools that we have, really. Um, you know, and I mean, we started the campaign, as we said to you before, we felt it was really important because he'd been sidelined for so long. Um, I must also say as well, you know, this isn't just... We just really felt, without being too emotional about it, um, we wanted to give something back. Whether he's alive or now really is, is still not too relevant. We still want to give something back to David because he brought so much light into so many people's lives. And for each of us, we've all got a story. Um, and he spent so much time keeping his audience happy, especially in the last 15 years. He would try and, you know, uh, play some of his own tunes, his own songs. And people just beg and beg and beg for Partridge Family. And he would just give in and play, I think I love you. And no disrespect to that song, but it's a sacrifice when you're a creative artist to, you know, keep revisiting the same thing time and time again. You're typecast. I think we find it really frustrating. Heaven only knows how frustrating you must have found it. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see him in concert? I did, yes. Uh, 2012, eventually, mm -hmm. uh, when he came over to England. Yeah, I got to the meet and greet, had a photograph. I remember what was really strange was standing in the queue to have my photograph taken. I was, suddenly was six years old again, and I had this sudden moment of shock that he was real. <laughs> it was only a moment, and I thought, my God, he's real. Alison, you're a little bit older than six now. But yeah, the six-year-old girl just, wow, it meant so much to her, if that makes sense, you know. Um, so I was a little bit taken surprised by that. But he was very, very sweet, very pleasant. I said, I'm very sorry, I'm a bit emotional. <laughs> he, said, oh. he said, right, it's really OK. It's, everything is absolutely fine. And that was it, my treasured moments. Is there something you wanted to talk about that I have not asked? There's one final thing I would like to say. Um, that behalf, on behalf of all of us on our team, we do uh, offer a heartfelt thank you to everyone who has already signed, to all of, you's, uh, all of you that are continuing to support us, to support the campaigns. Uh, we really do appreciate it, and we would like to wish everyone happy trails. My interview with Alison, the spokesperson for a group from England working to have David Cassidy inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and have his back catalogue of albums and concert footage remastered and released. Thanks for listening to Station to Station. The audio is posted to SoundCloud and iTunes, or you can listen on my website, joepavia.com. 
That's where I've posted blogs and stories of assignments I've covered and photos I've taken. You can also sign up to have new stories emailed to your inbox. Thanks, and see you on the next podcast.